a look at college football news, analysis, and insight from around the Sunshine State. This is Florida Football Insiders, a part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. And here's your host, Jason Powers. Welcome in to the Week 9 episode of the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. We are part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Thanks, Steve Carney, for the for the fine intro and all that stuff, and T.J. Reeves for uh, leading our uh, podcast network as we get into week nine of the college football season. Hard to believe we are already in week nine. The Florida Football Insiders podcast is brought to you by Beefo Brady's here in Tampa uh, on the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue over in the Carrollwood and Forest Hills area. So definitely check out Beefo Brady's for all of your sports viewing uh, needs. Uh, whether it's Thursday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday night, we got the NFL, college football, we have co- ho- hockey, we got the NBA, we got Major League Soccer playoffs, anything in, in World Series starts this weekend as well. So anything you want to watch sports wise, definitely head out to Beefo Brace, the beautiful re- re- newly renovated location down there on Himes and Bush, Boulevard, Bush Boulevard, and tell TJ Maloof that the Florida Football Insiders podcast sent you. So again, want to thank our sponsors, Print and Print and Digital Marketing Solutions, Star Alvarado, Titan Home Lending, Home Slice Pizza Company, and Hank's Barbecue as well for their their partnership with the uh, Florida Football Insiders Podcast. Got a great episode for you this week. We are going to cover the Florida-Georgia game in depth. We got reports from the Florida side with Kevin Brockway, the Gainesville Sun. We're also going to talk to Mark Weiser. He's from the Athens Herald Banner. He's going to cover the Georgia side and give us some Georgia perspective. We're also going to talk to, again, our weekly segment with Coach Jim Levitt, the coach in the kicker segment. We're going to break down all the teams in the state of Florida. We're going to talk some national national storylines. We've got some big, huge matchups coming up in, in a week or so. Uh, we're going to talk some strategy, the, the inside and outs of a play call. What uh, what when, when when a coach makes a, a play call, what does that mean to each part of the defense? And he's going to break that down for you, and we're going to have a good chat. So enjoy the episode again. Coach Jim Levitt, Kevin Brockway, and Mark Weiser have you covered. We're covering all things the state of Florida college football. Again, reach out to us on Twitter at JPO Sports. We'd love to hear your feedback. Retweet it out to your friends. You can go to my YouTube channel. Jason Powers Sports Channel on YouTube for all the video interviews. Coach Levitt, Kevin Brockway, Mark Weiser. I also have a couple other podcasts that I do called the Floor, uh, the Powers on Sports Podcast and the No Quarter Given Podcast. So definitely, if you're interested in some good, great content every week, check it out. I uh, loved it. Love to have you and uh, enjoy the episode. And we'll be right back. Florida Football Insiders Podcast is presented by Beefo Brady's. Beef O'Brady's at the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue in Tampa in the Carrollwood and Forest Hills area. For all of your football, baseball, basketball, hockey, viewing pleasures, check out Beef O'Brady's every day of the week they're open. Whether you're wanting to watch games on Thursday night, Saturday, Sunday, Monday night, your favorite hockey team, your favorite college basketball team, NBA team, check out Beef O'Brady's. If you're looking for any catering needs, corporate events, things like that, Beef O'Brady's can help you as well. They do all the things you need to be done in the restaurant and sports bar business. So Beef O'Brady's, corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. Enjoy the podcast. And now a word from BetUS. 
Hey guys and girls, with the college football and NFL season now underway, you need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity that you can rely on like BetUS. BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years, thriving and paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely. Go to BetUS.com and take advantage of an offer we have for all of our podcasts. You'll receive 125% of a sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. Put $100 in, you get an extra $125. Put $200 in, you get an extra $250. So forth and so on. BetUS has all the NFL, MLB postseason, NBA, tennis, golf, Premier League, and college football wagers to bet on. But we all know you are all college football and NFL fans, and we want you to be with us all season long on BetUS. Check them out at BetUS.com, and remember our 125% matching bonus for all initial signups with our code COAST22. BetUS, you bet, you win, and most importantly, you get paid. All right, welcome back to the Coach and the Kicker segment. We are in week number nine. Unbelievable. Hard to think that we're already nine weeks into the college football season. We're getting ready to be go to we're getting ready to get to Halloween here. I'm gonna get find out what coach is gonna dress up for Halloween. Uh, <laughs> welcome uh, back, Coach. Yeah, it's good to be back, Jason. Let's uh let's go to work. Here we go. What is the Halloween outfit gonna be in the Levitt fan? Do the girls like to dress up for Halloween? Oh yeah, we've got a, a pink uh, cowboy and we got Luigi. So those are the two. Uh, that's where they're going to dress up at. There you yeah. Go. All right. How 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 the flag football playoffs go? We need an update. Well, we um, uh, Isabella's going to be out of it. They end up in fifth place. They don't get they get in the top four teams. And then uh, uh, Sophia had a bye. Okay. Uh, they're in place, so they've got a big one coming up this uh, this Saturday. Against the Saints, no, not the Saints. They're going to play the uh, Wildcats, and then if they win that one, then they'll play probably play the Saints, which is their the Saints haven't been beat at all. So, uh, so it's getting it's getting exciting. There you go, there you go. All right, let's get to it. Uh, we got the cocktail party this week in Jacksonville, Florida, Georgia. You got both teams coming off a bye week. Just your thoughts of you know what what are your initial thoughts in the game? I know. George is going to be a heavy favorite. I get it. But what does Florida have to do to kind of create a recipe for an upset? Well, you know, it's, it's uh, like I always say, it's having one game you can win, you know, and, uh, you know, the quarterback's going to have to really have a game. You know, he's good with his running and his throwing. They're going to have to really do a good job with him and setting him up in the right ways. Uh, defense going to have to play. And, they, you know, they're going to have to play at a higher level than they have. And they got to get some takeaways, certainly, and he, he – you know, the, the problem is Georgia is just such a line of scrimmage, you know, and uh, they're just so strong there. I don't know if Florida can uh, can handle that, although they, the first game against Utah. Yeah. Utah had a really strong line of scrimmage, and Florida won that game. So uh, they probably got to go back to that, you know, <clears throat> a little bit of, you know, playing that like they did their first game. And uh, they're going to have to have, you know, kicking game. Is all, that's going to be really important as well, field position. Uh, can they beat Georgia? Sure. You know, they, they uh, like I always say, they've got enough talent. I, I don't think they will, but I mean, I would, I, I think Georgia's got the better team, but it doesn't mean they, I thought Utah had the better, better team also in Florida one. So both, both teams obviously had a bye week. Would that be, would that be a situation where you could see Florida come out schematically and do some different things that maybe they haven't shown all year with the bye week and Georgia too? Well, 
<laughs> well, they got to look at Georgia's has some pretty close games. They certainly got to look to where where the as everybody would. You got to look at where their their weaknesses are on both sides of the ball, and they've had two weeks of studies. So the kicking game, you know, somebody could you know you got to look for your fake punt, you got to look for a trick play here or there, and you got to look for um, you know, uh, something that uh, that can give Florida a break. Right. Right, and, and obviously turnovers will be huge in this game. Obviously, you know Kirby and, and Billy Napier a little bit. I mean, defensively, Kirby's going to be dialed into Anthony Richardson. To me, that's Florida's only chance to be competitive here is if Richardson plays really well. And you got to think that Kirby's not going to allow Richardson to run wild as far, especially with his with his legs. Make him throw the ball. Yeah, you know he'll try. I'm sure he'll probably have a spy on some of those second and third longs, <clears throat> but no, that's still not easy. Yeah. You know. I, uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, sometimes those quarterbacks, they're so big and strong can run, even if you got a spy, and he, the guy still got to get there and tackle him, you know. And, and um, you know, I mean, I, I in the NFL, we we played a game. We, I had Pat Willis who could fly, and he was a spy. And uh, we were going against the quarterback at, uh, oh, goodness. Um, RG3? No, it was, it was the Eagles uh, with the dog. Oh, Michael Vick. Michael Vick. Yeah. Michael Vick, and I mean, he was unbelievable with the running. I shouldn't have made uh, uh, I shouldn't have made that comment, but um, the uh, Willis couldn't he couldn't catch uh, Vick, so you know it was hard. But you're right, RG three would be more like the quarterback at Florida, you know. So, all right, talk to me about. I, I, I want to ask you the it, it, when you when you make a defensive call, no matter what kind of call it is, you you make the call. Are you making the call? any defensive call does does your call does that tell the defensive lineman exactly what to do whether they're stunting whether they're running uh loops and stunts and all that the coverage is on the back end or is the call just a general call and then you make a, a specific call based on a formation especially mm-hmm. defensive backs well you, you you talk and tag all of it you know like an example i'll give you a, a call that we had the 49ers one that was used a lot okay uh, the call was tight will six and it would be tight and will like you're reading a will five and one is six so if i ever get back in coaching and i'm using a defense and uh then you can't <laughs> it's for a lot of people but um so tight talks to the front it was an odd front okay. so you had four eyes on as the dms you get the nose um that you know tight many had the backside a gap okay with uh tight will means the weak side outside linebacker is going to be the one coming. Uh, and it's always was by the passing strength or away from passing strength. So that was tight. Will six was the coverage for the DBs and for the linebackers. Certainly it's quarter, quarter, half. So if they had, you know, three by one, we'd roll up on the one side and you'd make a call like Roy or Lou uh, to that side. And you'd have a pack call to their side, which was quarters. Okay. Then you have outside linebacker to the passing strength. He'd have quarter flat off too. If you had trips in the college game, that's the difference. You got such a wider field, you'd play that guy inside at two, but he'd have to break and have you, know, you still had to drive on two to the flat. And then your Mike linebacker on the three receiver sides got to carry three vertical, um, you know, because your your safety is stressed. And uh, and then if you want to bring your if you want to if the X the one receiver side guy wasn't that good, you feel like you could match up with the corner. You take your safety, and you'd you'd have a call where he would take number three, so your linebacker wouldn't have to carry him as much. My point: I gave you a lot of information, right? About 
one defense. And there's a, there's a lot of defenses. It just shows that you have a lot of tags. You have a lot of things that you talk to your players about and you're hoping so that communication is very strong and they don't, you know, they don't fail in that area. That just shows you, I mean, again, that's just one, ba- that's probably a basic call for you. To me, that just shows the intellectual necessity that every one of these guys in that play, whether it's college or the NFL, have to have because it's complicated. There are formations that are complicated. You guys are expecting a lot of, there's so many different variations and variables that go into any one play, how much intellect go. It's not about running and tackling. More, It's more about the intellect of knowing where to be. Oh, there's no doubt. And then you, I didn't even talk about the weak side inside linebacker. He's vertical hook off that type will six. Right. If he number two vertical where your twos, probably if it's three by one, your twos in the backfield. So he just squares straight back and reads quarterback's eyes to break on him. If you take that safety, you take number three, that means the corner's got number one. That means now the weak side inside backer, we called him Jack, has anything to the flat because yeah. of the off. In other words, there's a lot of things, and that was just three by one. We're not talking about what are you doing on balance? What do you do with the two tights? What do you do? How do you play that? How do you play motion? All your empty, motion, empty sets, everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean. check that went to empty. We went to something called pillow. So it's uh, you know, you you have all that set up to teach the system, and that was always a challenge for me because I went to four different. You know, I went from Oregon over to Florida State. And of course, we tried to work a lot of that. Uh, that system in a Florida state, we won four in a row, right? We got in there and, um, and as yeah, long story after that, but uh, I was just an analyst at the time, but FAU had some success. We, you know, we're 10th in the country and scoring defense, which was good at giving up 12 points a game. SMU uh, it was yep. better than the defense it had before. And um, so, you know, but you, but my point is you have to teach this in one year. And usually these guys, the the hours and it's it's uh, overwhelming can be usually your second third year right. you know they're, they're going to get the little tags and they'll start playing in a lot more confidence and, it, and remember college folks there's no headset in the middle linebackers ear that you can talk where the nfl couldn't you talk to you the guy making the call could talk to patrick willis and make the call i think it's up to 15 seconds on the play clock where you could tell them hey we're going to check to this you know, those kind of things where you can't really do that in college. It's all hand signals and all that stuff, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And I thought they were going to do that in college. And I guess the reason they probably didn't is because of money. Um, but you have 15 seconds. But a lot of times what would happen is, you know, the uh, other NFL team, the offense, they wouldn't run a personnel group. They would run them out at about 18 seconds. So you really caught because the phones went dead at 15. So now you had to have hand signals for all your calls. Right. So I and signals for all calls because Vic Fangio, who was head coach of the Broncos, yep. would would give me a call. You know, I would relay it out because I wasn't I wasn't a coordinator when I was at the 49ers. Right. But interesting, then you know, when I had all the hand signals, so I used them all in Colorado. We had a lot of success there in defense, and then certainly Oregon. Uh, we had some real real good success on defense, FAU, and so yep. forth. So, um, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot to it. Defense is hard, man. Defense, defense is hard in this day and age of college football, especially. Like you make a great comment about the hash marks. Talk to the audience about how the hash marks are so more challenging in college because they're wider than the NFL, and how that dictates defense. Well, we just we'll, we'll stay with what I was talking about. You got a three by one, so your your number one is your receiver all the way to the, the sideline, and then we're on the short, on the short side of the field, correct? I'm talking about to the wide field. Okay. Right? 
Yeah, you have number one into the boundary also. So you have one, two, three, count outside in. Well, your two and three, when you have a wide field, can be spread out a lot more. So when your safety has to is stressed, your corner has to play between one and two. Safety's got to play between two and three. Yep. But those guys come off vertical. There's more room to the field for the quarterback to throw seams. Right. And that's one indication. Same thing with you have uh, different route patterns out of your trip side to the wide field. It's, it can be a challenge uh, because it's spacing. Right. You know, just that's just the way it is. And now your advantage is you can bring corner blitzes from the boundary. You do some things there. And, uh, you know, but. It always seems like those who have a hard time getting their quarterback, you know, usually sees it and because people do it so much right. and gets the ball up quick enough. So the spacing is the big deal. Yeah. Like I said, the NFL is the much more centered field, center of the field stuff, and it's more balanced defensively where you can balance your personnel, things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's just a great point. Um, all right. Let's talk a little. Um, let's talk a little. Uh, Miami, struggle city down in Miami. They lose to Duke over the weekend. Eight turnovers for the Hurricanes. Just, again, they lose by, I think, three touchdowns was the end of final score. That that has gone from a 3-0 and to all the hype in the world going to Texas A&M to 3-4 and and just major, major problems down in Miami. Well, it's interesting because Duke lost to North Carolina on a very, very close – I mean, right into the game. Last Broke. play of the game. Last play, yep. And then they went to Georgia Tech, and the same thing happened. Wow. So you got to give Elko, who's the head coach of Duke, a lot of credit, I think, because I did watch the replay of that game. Yep. The way their team battled, and they absolutely ran the ball on Miami, and Miami didn't run the ball very well. And, uh, you know, the, the turnovers was a big deal, uh, but I thought that Duke was just physically a better team, uh, more well-coached. This is one of the worst Miami teams I've seen in a very long time, uh, you know, and, and uh, who knows? you know, what all those reasons are, but they don't, I, I thought Duke just physically beat them up. Uh, I know, I know Miami took the lead in the third quarter, but Miami had control of the game. And even in fact, when the quarterback, the starting quarterback for Miami went out in the second quarter, I believe they were down 17, seven. Right. And Garcia came in and uh, threw, got him in the lead and then threw some really bad picks. Uh, the, the old line for Miami, uh, did not protect the quarterback at all. And I thought Duke had did a great job of bringing some edge pressure that got to the quarterback quite a bit. And uh, just, you know, poor play by Miami, you know, and, and coaching, playing. I just didn't, I didn't think they they weren't near the, the Miami teams I even saw last year, the year before, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, really, it's it, really surprising because they got off to a good start. They got off to a three. And I know they didn't play a, a strong right. schedule. I get it. But, but you thought Mario with the, you know, with the new – New coaching staff, new mentality of physicality. Obviously, from coming from where he came from, you, you just—it's really surprising to see him go so so downhill so quickly. Well, you know, even when when Mario was out at Oregon, he had Justin Herbert for goodness sakes. That's true. See how good he is, and they couldn't—they couldn't seem to get to the playoff. Which you got every resource there is in Oregon. I mean, it's it's unlimited, and uh, and it shows right now with the. Coach coming in right away from Georgia, doing a great job out there beating UCLA. Yeah, um, and and without Herbert, I mean Herbert was one of the best quarterbacks I've ever been around. Incredible player. Um, Bo Nix played great on Saturday against UCLA. They destroyed oh, UCLA. They played really, really well on offense, especially. Really did. But getting back to Miami, it's just you know they're they're struggling, and 
you know, now they go to uh, I don't know what I don't know what their next game is. At know. Virginia, at Virginia, at Virginia. Virginia's not they're not the same team they were last year. Right. That offense a year ago at Virginia. I was the interim head coach at SMU when we were going to play Virginia in a bowl game, and um, I watched that offense. I I don't nobody stopped. They were unbelievable what they did, and and uh, and I saw why. And then the, the day we were flying out there to play them in the uh, Fenway Bowl. Uh, they called up and canceled the game wow. uh, because of COVID. So we get the win. So I got the win. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, was going to be what Fenway Park is that where that game was going to be at in Boston? And, and I was, I was, uh, I was uh, okay. You want to give us this win? They're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, um, and then I came back here. You know, be be, be around my girls, and I was waiting my girls too much. Had to Have be back. You? I had to get back here. Have you ever played in a non-football stadium like that? Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park? What's, what's we, we opened up the uh, uh, Tropicana. Oh, okay. Right, right. Okay, I forgot about it, that. It changed names of that bowl game. But, I forgot uh, we were, about that. We were the first team in South Florida that we had inaugural there. We were the inaugural Papa John's. So we've had a couple inaugural uh, games. But uh, we ended up uh, beating Memphis pretty good in the inaugural uh, bowl game in, uh, in Tropicana. Let's talk about the Florida-Georgia game, just about the rivalry component of this. Talk to me about how how do you play that up as the head coach? That's your big rival. I know, obviously, when you were at USF, you had UCF was a huge rival of yours, those kind of things. How does the whole Florida-Georgia rivalry component play into your preparations at all, or does it? Well, you might not need to do much because the players all here with, with social media and everything else involved, you know. And plus, you got to understand that Florida's still got uh, Florida State you know, there's some, and they play Miami, I think, every year too, right? So you got, it's a little bit, I think, I always thought that was a lot, uh, a real challenge for Florida, you know, because you want, don't want to hype up one game too much. Right. You know, you, I mean, there, there's always, every, you'll hear this from every player, every coach, every game is a one game season. Yep. Uh, and uh, I'll never forget the late Leroy Selman. Uh, Leroy and I played against each other at, um, at uh, when I was at Missouri and he was in Oklahoma for three years. And Summon Brothers. And I used to ask, you know, Leroy, in his entire career, Leroy lost one game in college. God. And and then going into the pros, I used to ask Leroy, how did you get so up for each game? He said, treated every game like it was the Super Bowl. Every game. Yeah. And, um, and that's kind of when you have rivals, like you've got Georgia and you've got Florida State, you've got Miami and all of it. You know, I guess the way you go back is you just really isolate each game and realize that that's the biggest game in your life, even though the players are going to hear other things because of the, you know, cocktail party and all those type of things. But for us, it, uh, when I was in South Florida, Central Florida was, you know, we, we won all four of those games. And the um, we did not publicize anything, but within the team, we made that a it was a real focus and our our guys really got up for that game and you know when I first hired Central Florida wanted to play us right away but I I mean I didn't want to play them right away we didn't have a I didn't know we had a quarterback I didn't know what kind of team we're gonna have right so I got going I kept saying let's make it the million dollar game you want to play that that bad let's let's put some really high stakes in it I saw where we had um I really felt good about our quarterbacks and where it was going to be at I asked and I asked Leroy someone I said tell him Call him up, tell him we'll play him. And uh, and Leroy did. And I said, but I want to play the first game at home. And I don't want to play it for another year. And then on, on the road and so forth. So 
uh, yep. you know, we just had had real success in that uh, in that series. But the man, war on I four, the war on I four, baby. Right. That trip. I mean, interesting trip. I mean, that's a travel. That's an easy trip. Talk about the bus ride when you when you take a short trip like that on a bus ride. What is the mood on a bus ride like that when you know you're going a couple hours on a bus on a bus ride to a big hated rival? Is it quiet? Is it jovial? What is what is the mood on the bus? Well, it's not quiet when you go. It's you know you want those guys relaxed and you know I mean they're not being complete idiots, but you know they're listening to music and they're having you know they're it's not it's not like it's not like the bus ride to the stadium to play the game. Okay, it's very different. The demeanor in that bus ride you won't hear a pin drop i mean they're those guys are focused they're you know they're you you prepare when you prepare your your cup you know you're you're setting up all your preparation friday uh your meetings yeah your walkthrough uh the night meetings uh the pregame meal the bus ride to the stadium uh the warm-up all of it it's 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 all got to be building and and you've got to prepare your players that way you've got to make sure your players understand why that's so important, why you don't want to be distracted by too many parents, friends the night before, all those type of things, because it's all a process of getting ready to play. And uh, mentally, I think it's a big, big deal. Uh, and you don't want to get any any distractions because every every player, and they, they prepare differently. Well, all right, so Florida State goes to Georgia Tech. We're not going to talk much about that game. Miami, we just mentioned, goes to Virginia. Florida State hosts Georgia Tech. Miami goes to Virginia. USF goes to Houston coming off a bye week. Um, Central Florida's got an interesting game. They host Cincinnati. They come off a loss at East Carolina. We talked about that game last week. That might have been tricky for UCF. They get beat four turnovers. They lose 34-13 in Greenville. You've played there. That's a tough place to play, that Greenville, North Carolina. We were fortunate. We were 4-0 against East Carolina. We won both games up there, but they were very, very tough. I remember the Santiago Gramatica kicked a, uh, uh, a – it was double overtime, I believe. He, he nailed one to uh, win the game. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was very fortunate. You know, Martin Gramatica had him up at Kansas State. And yep. What a great kicker he was. And I had Bill transfer from Florida State to us. And uh, great kicker, than Santiago. Unbelievable, uh, unbelievable, those guys. And a great, great players. They, they helped us win a lot of, a lot of games. My point is this, at East Carolina, I think we won, I think twice up there was maybe a late kick. It was, it was, it's a tough place to play. It is, it is. Very good football team. That did not surprise me seeing East Carolina beat Central Florida, especially with the Cincinnati game coming up. But, you know, they've got to beat, you know, they're, they're still, uh, you know, everything's in front of them for Central Florida. Yep. They just, they went out, they win the conference. You know, the, the East Carolina game is not going to be, I don't think that'll be an issue. But they got to win the rest of their games. They certainly got to beat Cincinnati, and Cincinnati uh, barely won their game against SMU. It's a two-point game, yeah. you know. So Cincinnati has barely beat South Florida. They barely got against SMU, and um, you know, I, I I think Central Florida will win this game. I think they will. It's at it's it's in Orlando, right? Yes. And um, you know, you Cincinnati plays on the turf. They got down there in grass, and uh, you know, I I think that uh, Central Florida will win this game. All right, let's talk more, more coaching and more coaching carnage, unfortunately. Short, the coach at Charlotte, Will Healy, gets fired after they lose to FIU uh, at home in Charlotte. FIU goes up there and wins handily, which 
Again, give Mike McIntyre credit. Nobody thought they'd win more than one game this year, and they've won three. So they go up on the road, win big. Charlotte fires their coach. No offense to Charlotte, but you can't wait till the end of the year to fire the coach. You're at Charlotte. It's not like this is Nebraska or Oklahoma. We can't wait till the end of the year if you're going to make a change to fire the coach. Really? Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know their coach. All I know is when I was at FAU, we played Charlotte, and I thought their offense was very, very hard to stop. Very, very difficult. Very challenging. And the quarterback they had was really good. I don't know what happened to him, but uh, he was really good. And when they played uh, Fort Atlantic early in the year, I thought Fort Atlantic did a really good job. But I could see Charlotte winning that game. It, they uh, they stopped themselves. Yeah. So I thought that you know Healy was doing a good job. I don't know what happened to them. I don't know what happened to here, the you know, or after COVID. You know, we won that game like I don't know, it was like sixteen to ten. Uh, it was a close game, and they had the ball like in the red zone to win a game, and you know, we just made a big play. But um, you know, I mean, it's it's. I think it's a good job. Whoever goes in there is, you know, you got to tap the uh, transfer portal because you got you got Wake Forest, you got Duke, you got NC State, yeah. you got. North on it right there and yeah app states right there yeah and then, and then north carolina's got great football and then you just work the recruiting right from north carolina down in florida and, and i'd get into florida hard because the charlotte area uh, it, that's great easy to get to and you know you you know so whoever goes in there you know that you've got a you know you got to get you got to recruit you got to get players you know that we all know that don't worry about the nil you know you're not gonna have any to pay those guys so you know don't have to worry about that uh that piece of it and you know like i've said before earlier in the year georgia southern doesn't have to worry about nil they won up big games appalachian state uh, those guys aren't gonna you you just get good football players that are tough and coach them up coach them up yeah i mean i went to i went to uh uh a plant game against steinbrenner okay this past uh past friday and Plant's done really, really been playing some really good defense. Cam, their defense coordinator, and his staff have done a great job. And Hank has done a real good job building that thing back up. Plant, yep. because Plant had some struggles, but uh, doing a great job this year. And my my point is this: I saw players there that I thought could play at a lot of places. I mean, South Florida, and so, I mean, sometimes just tough kids. Mm-hmm. You know, that might be the biggest, fastest, strongest, but uh, they're tough and uh, you know, um, players that, you know, there's some receivers on Steinbrenner that's good, quarterback through well. Uh, you know, there's certainly some players on plant that are really good football players. So, you know, you know, hopefully those guys will look how, right. cool, how cool is it in the Tampa Bay area? We got Mike Williams at Wharton High School, former yeah. first-round draft pick. Michael Clayton's at Plant City. You know, you got some college NFL guys coming back to help their community coaching high school football. How cool is that to see as a, as a fellow coach? Oh, it's great. You know, I mean, and Tampa's got great football. You got, you got such a great recruiting area. You got Tampa, you got St. Pete, certainly yeah. St. Pete. Lakewood High School is, a, is real strong right now. And, yeah. But all the schools going to put out and then just get across the bridge, Palmetto, and you can make a living right Manatee, there. Sarasota, Bradenton, that whole area. But then you go down to Bell Glaze, Pahokee, that area is really hot. Miami, certainly, you know that. And, um, and get up to Escambia, up in Pensacola, and you got Rebolt, you got Reigns over in Jacksonville. And then you got the gut of Florida. Well, I always called it Haines City and those areas. And Lake uh, Lakeland's a powerhouse. Lakeland's Park, a hot I love, lived at Lakeland. Bill Castle and Lakeland High School and Kathleen and 
Kelsey came from that area right there. And Ray I mean, Lewis, this, Ray Lewis is from that area. I mean, yeah, right there. Yeah. Those stories a great one, but we won't get into it. Cause we probably, <laughs> don't. Uh, but I certainly remember Ray when he was a 10th grade and talked to uh, Tommy Tuberville at Miami when they were trying to make a decision to take Ray or not. And uh, they end up battling for stay at the end to get, to get Ray and the rest of the story. And then I have to, as a, Coach of the Niners, we played against Ray Lewis and the Ravens in the Super Bowl, and he certainly had a great game and beat us, or I'd have a Super Bowl ring. So, <laughs> well, the last play of the game, they interfered with Crabtree. They don't. I remember. I remember the light. Remember the lights went. The lights went out at the Superdome yes. and everything, man. Yeah, I should have a Super Bowl ring. We got we got uh, taken by those officials. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! All right, a couple things on the national front. We'll get you out of here. Tennessee, obviously, they got they got Georgia next week. Georgia again, both teams got tricky games. You got Georgia and Florida. You got Tennessee and Kentucky with the showdown looming next week, and you also have a tricky showdown next week. Alabama, LSU, LSU starting to play. They beat Ole Miss. Your guy Jaden Daniels, the guy you know from out, out west, he's starting to play really well at LSU. Could be a tricky spot for Alabama in two weeks. You got you got to watch out. I mean, I want to tell you, you know, and uh, certainly the head coach at LSU. I've been up against him when he was at uh, Cincinnati. He can coach, few. he can coach. Great games. We had great games with him, and um, uh, he's doing. A, they're doing a great job at LSU. You got to watch out for LSU. They're getting hot at the right time, and and I agree. And then you got to watch out Kentucky. Kentucky is a good football team. You know, Mark Stoops, head coach of Kentucky. His a trivia question. His first job in college was at South Florida with me and it was plenty of games. <laughs> Mark, Mark was there for our, our first season, which was only three scrimmages. Yeah. He went to uh, Wyoming, I believe with Dana Demel, who's at UTEP okay. and UTEP end up in overtime beating FAU. Right. Weekend. We didn't talk about that game. You're right. And, you know, in, in, in overtime. So FAU now is like three and five. And you mentioned and that, that was going to be a tough road trip for them going out to El Paso. I know, and then you know Lane Kiffin won that, you know, won that conference uh, two years in a row. So, Coach Taggart's, I know they're they're trying to figure it all out. They got UAB coming in this weekend. UAB is a good football team. So my old school, that's where I played. Yeah, how about that? And uh, you know, so there's a lot of things there. But Kentucky, Tennessee, that'll be an interesting game. Uh, but Mark, and then Mike Stoops, coach for this at Kansas State, and. Yep. My place when I left FAU to go to SMU, Mike came in and was a defense coordinator at FAU for one year till he he's got the linebacker job at Kentucky now. So, gotcha. but but you're right. It's you know this is the time of the year. You get in November, you've got to play your best football. November. They all count. You can't you can't look at you can't look ahead. They all count. Whether you're playing but, Vanderbilt or whether you're playing Georgia, you can't slip up here. Championship teams go north and not south in the, in November. Right. You, and, you know, like I told you a number of weeks ago, our biggest, when we lost, I know we were 6-0 a couple times and we were highly ranked in the country. Our October month was a bad month for us. Usually our November, we did really, we did pretty well. You yeah. know, we, we won most of our November games. and uh, But we, we got hit in October. We got some of those guys back healthy, and that's when we, we, uh, we got going again. So, um, but, yeah, big games. And you got Ohio State going to Penn State this weekend, which is a big one in the Big Ten. Penn State with a big win over the weekend. But Ohio, I mean, again, tricky game up at, at Happy Valley. You know that place really well. It's a tricky place to play. 
Well, it was you know when I was in South Florida and when we were ranked number two in the country, the next year we, uh, in fact, the um, the next year we weren't as good, but we had a good team and we came down an onside kick against uh, Paterno and up there at uh, Penn State, came down to the last play, like end of the game, and it was one hundred eight thousand there. It was a beautiful day, and um, you know, uh, I, in fact, that year we played. Petrino's Louisville team, they were ninth in the country, came in to Raymond James. We won 56 or six or 12, rather. We had we had to go to Penn State. Yeah. We had Florida. We ended up winning that game 64 to 12. And then we had to go down to the Orange Bowl with Miami. Wow. You're talking about four tough teams to open up with. We ended up two and two, which was Great. our guys' Great. job games. But um, the point is, is the Penn State, I kind of got off on a tangent. Ohio State, how good are they? They they beat the dog out of Iowa. And Iowa's played some pretty good defense and in, in this year already. And golly, if they go and just tear up Penn State, look uh, out, juggernaut right now. And and nobody seems to be challenging Ohio State at all, you know. And then you got that, you know. Obviously, the Michigan game is going to be a big one again. But it's um, yeah, you know, the defense coordinator at Ohio State came from Oklahoma State. And, yes. Uh, you know, <clears throat> doing some good things there again. So, I mean, there's some there's some great games like always. Last, like always. Top, last topic I want to talk about, quarterback situation. We have a burgeoning potential controversy in Clemson. DJ gets pulled last week. They're down to Syracuse. The, the freshman kid, highly touted, comes in, comes back and brings it back to win to beat Syracuse. Right after the game, Dabo says DJ's still the quarterback. Is this going to be a potential situation back a couple of years back when Saban pulls Hurts and puts two in the game? Could you see a scenario where that happens again in a big moment? They're not going to be challenging the regular season, I don't think. But come a playoff time, could you see a scenario where you put the freshman quarterback back in the game if, if DJ continues to struggle? Well, certainly. You know, I mean, every, every position's you know, everybody's got to compete certainly the most important position on your team is Syracuse. Well, they, they always play. Uh, Clemson. They do. So, wow. I couldn't believe they lost that game. They had them. I mean, Clemson's really, they barely got by Wake Forest. Yeah. Uh, this one was close one. Uh, uh, Florida State. You know, I mean, it's just, there's different, Clemson finds a way to win and those, you know, great teams do that. Uh, it could, you know, I, you know, you're, as a head coach, you got to come out and say that right away. I think, you know, you don't, you never make a change in the uh, emotion end of a game in front of media. Right. That, that, do that. You just, Hey, he's our guy. We'll, you know, we'll keep competing and, you know, see how it plays out. Uh, bottom line is the team's most important thing. It's all about the team, the team, the team, you know, and you got to put your guys in, in uh, on the field that going to help you win. How, and, tri uh, how tricky is it to put, to pull the trigger on a veteran quarterback mid-game like they did. You bench the kid in the second or third quarter. How tricky is it with a guy that's, that's won a lot of games for you? How tricky is that to do? It, it can be really hard, you know. You, but, you know, you, you, you're preparing at number two guy. You've got a lot of counsel with your staff, your offense coordinator, and, and you, you just watch how a game's going. And, you know, sometimes it's a lot better to throw that guy in earlier in the middle part of the game and if yeah. he doesn't do well, now you're trying to get something to get your starter going again, you know, where you could really put the starter back in if the other guy wasn't, didn't get hot, you know. So, you know, I understand why they did it, you know, and, um, yeah. you know, I, it was a good move for him. All right, last one. I'll get you out of here. I know you're going to the game Thursday night, Raymond James right. Stadium, Ravens, Bucks. 
What has got to happen? What, 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 from an outside view, what do you see with the Buccaneers? Lack of passion? What do you see? Well, you know, you know, I don't know, obviously, and I, I, I love Todd. I think Todd Bowles is really good man. I know Todd. Yeah. I know he, he, he man, he's a, he's a pro all the way. Uh, you got the greatest quarterback ever, Tom Brady, and you know, and they're going to have to rally together. You know, they're not shoots a long season. Yeah. You know, got to win a game. Now it's Baltimore's tough. You know, they've got quarterback that's going to be hard to <clears throat> to contain and. You know, Baltimore's got a good football team. They all do, though. Uh, but you got them at home Thursday night. They need to get back out there and win, certainly. You know, they got to win enough games to get in the playoffs. What were they, 7-5 to five when they won the Super Bowl? You yeah, know, the one. Like that. Yep, yep. There's all three and four teams right now. It's certainly not too late. They just got to get the – they got to get the team back. The leaders have got to stand up. Tom's going to have to do a great job, certainly, and he will. And uh, they've got to do – you know, they've got to have the defensive – uh, white, you know, has got to, you know, stand up and, and, um, you know, get rally the defense together and get to get, get them back together as a team. And, uh, and I know that Todd, well, I'm sure will be very honest with the, with the players. And yep. these are grown men. I mean, these guys are, they're not college kids and they're grown men. They know what they need to do and they need, but they need to get going and doing it. And, you know, and, uh, you know, whether it happens Thursday or happens the week after it's got to happen pretty soon. All right, Coach. Well, great job. Enjoy Thursday night football. I'll be watching you on Amazon Prime. I'll see you in the in the in the, in the end zone seats with you, with you and the girls. So have a good right. time at the game and uh, appreciate the time this week, Coach. We'll see you next week on the Coach and the Kicker segment presented by Beefo Brady's. All right, see you, Jason. Have a great week, Coach. Special thanks to our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions and Realtor Star Alvarado. If you are looking to sell your home or are looking to purchase a home anywhere in the Tampa Bay area, from Tampa to St. Pete to Wesley Chapel and everywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She will be a great advocate for you on both the selling side and the purchasing side of the real estate transaction. So Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. Print and Marketing Solutions. Do you have a corporate event? Do you have golf tournaments? Are you involved in an election? Do you need signs, banners, road signs? Do you need marketing pieces? Do you need color copies, business cards, everything in between? Reach out to Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located off of the the intersection of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. He is a full-service print and digital marketing supplier. Anything you need in the print and print needs, Todd can help you. So reach out to Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887, Print and Marketing Solutions. College football and NFL football fans, we know that the season is cranked back up. Are you looking for the best seats at the most competitive prices? Take advantage of Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. Ticket Smarter is partnered with more than 100 universities and 24 conferences as their official ticket resale marketplace. They have also partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner. And with the best selection of NCAA and NFL football tickets, Ticket Smarter makes sure fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of the football season live and in person. Purchase your your tickets directly, securely, and at the best prices on the secondary market with the Ticket Smarter mobile app or at TicketSmarter.com. 
We've got an additional offer for those listening to all of our podcasts. Take 5% off your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22 for 5% off of your order of $100 or more. And that code isn't just a one-time use. Use it this week. Use it next week. Use it Thanksgiving week. Use our code as many times as you want this football season for the best selection of college football and NFL seats to the biggest games. Check out the selections, pricing now with Ticket Smarter, and remember our code GRIDIRON22. Think smarter, ticket smarter. All right, welcome back, Florida Football Insiders Podcast. I'm, I'm your host, Jason, down in Tampa. We are going to talk some Florida Gators. We're about the midpoint of the year for the Gators. Gators are coming off a bye week, and they've got the cocktail party this weekend up in up in Jacksonville. And no better person to talk to about all things Florida is the beat reporter for the Gainesville Sun, Mr. Kevin Brockway. Welcome back, Kevin. Good morning. All right. First, before we get to the cocktail party, I, I just I just found out this nugget. You're a University of Miami grad. Give me your thoughts on the hurricane, the disaster. <laughs> That's turning into that with Mario down in Miami, another loss over the weekend to Duke. Well, where can I begin? Eight turnovers, a lot of problems. Offensive line, I think it really starts with the offensive line. I guess they were playing the third string center. He wasn't on top with the protections. And uh, Tyler Van Dyke, obviously starting quarterback, went out in the second quarter with a pretty bad elbow injury. They went to the backup, Pete Garcia. He just kept on throwing picks, and there were fumbles and um defense a lot of missed tackles too just the overall lack of physicality it did not look like the Miami teams that uh I I watched when I was in college it's just they, they need more of an edge to them they need more of a on both sides of the ball a lot more physicality yeah, you were there probably during the glory days correct yes I was there during the uh Dennis Erickson years the national championship years um Michael Barrow Jesse Armstead uh Darren Smith all went on to pretty long uh NFL careers. Those are those are pretty good. Some pretty good linebackers there back in the day. Uh, Cortez Kennedy, uh, Russell oh, yeah. Maryland. Um, I saw some great defensive players. Gino Toretta, the Heisman year, and um, you know, Lamar Thomas. A lot of a lot of really good players uh, at, at that point in time. Yeah, that's great. That's good. All right, all right. So let's get to the Gators coming off a of bye week. They're four and three, one and one and three in conference play. Uh, talk to me about. Just give me a, give me an overall general assessment of what you of what Coach Napier is saying, and then kind of your observations of the Gators through seven games. Well, um, the huge issue right now is on defense, particularly third down defense. They're last in the country, fifty two percent. They just have not been able to solve that issue uh, at this point. That's been the the glaring, really Achilles heel of this team, and it really hurts them in terms of uh, you know keeping the offense on the field because he just can't get the defense off the field, so it limits their number of plays. Um, and also uh, just uh, overall in terms of uh, stopping drives and, and you know, allowing teams to sustain drives uh, for, for a long period of time. And now Patrick Tony is a first-year defensive coordinator. He's certainly taking his lumps. Uh, you can make the argument also that Dan Mullen did not leave him a lot of talent. Um, they're not really getting much pressure from the four-man rush, um, which, uh, you know, which has been an issue. Um, Jervon Dexter's been facing a lot of double teams. And right. Des Watson was kind of a nice story, you know, bigger guy, gets in the lineup at nose tackle, but really at over 400 pounds, I mean, you know, he, he's being exposed quickness. They're giving up a lot of quarterback scrambles too. That's been a big issue. Uh, you know, the ability to spy and contain the quarterback. Ventrell Miller has been the one bright spot on the defense. He's been terrific. 
Uh, he plays with a lot of heart, a lot of energy, a lot of toughness. Is a really big communicator. But uh, it, during the bye week, I'm guessing that a lot of that was addressed on the defensive side of the ball. And, and offensively, I mean, Anthony Richardson is up and down as a passer. He's inconsistent, makes big plays, certainly makes splash plays. But his ability to sustain drives has been an issue as well. And, you know, other than really that Tennessee game where he was really spot on throwing the football, right. um, he probably has not been very consistent a as a thrower. Um, I mean, the positives are they're developing a really good offensive line. And even last week with Osiris Torrance out, who's obviously their best offensive lineman and one of the best in the country, the offensive line held up pretty well. Uh, you know, Richardson isn't getting sacked. Um, and uh, they, they can establish a little bit of a running game behind that offensive line. Um, and, and that's probably led them to their four wins. What do you think? What, do you get any sense of Anthony Richardson's future? A lot of talk about he might be a one, you know, he might high draft pick, big prospect. Like you said, the up and down play probably uh, is is a result of him just not playing a lot of games. Unfortunately, what are you getting any sense out of the, out of Gainesville? Or what what they maybe the coaching staff thinks that Richardson will be back next year, not back. What what is the what is the kind of the murmur? Well, there have been there have been scouts every week at the Swamp. Right. I mean, and multiple scouts. Um, so I'm guessing that there's still that feeling that uh, hey, we can take you and we can make you into a really good quarterback. We see the athletic ability. Um, I mean, I saw you know there's still projections of him being a first round pick. Now, right. like you know, the results on the field don't show it per se, but um, I, it's just one of those things where uh, you know uh, you know uh, they, they get drafted on potential. So I think it's going to depend a lot on how he finishes. Certainly, right. I think these these next couple of weeks are going to be very telling in regards to that. And um, if he can, uh, you know, figure things out and play at a high level, you know, I think he'll definitely go. I think if he still kind of has his ups and downs, maybe he could sell him on one more year of seasoning. Um, so I think these I think these next four or five games are going to be crucial in that regard. Looking at Florida, and we're going to get to Georgia here in just a second. Looking at their schedule, you got you know interesting next next five weeks. You got Georgia, you got at A and M, you got a, a surging South Carolina team. You go to Vanderbilt, and then you go to at Florida State to end it. Do you? I mean, realistically, you could probably you could you could look at the schedule and say, yeah, they could win four out of those five, or you could you could look at the schedule and, and say they could lose four out of five. Yeah, exactly. And if you lose four out of five, then you're not bowl eligible, which would be a big disappointment in Napier's first season. I mean, I think the winnable games certainly are South Carolina at home and Vanderbilt on the road. I think every other game, um, you know, I, I think this Georgia game, I mean, it would right. be a, a humongous upset. And then, you know, at Texas A&M and at FSU, um, possible wins, but you're on the road, which right. makes it always tough. So uh, I think that that's, you know, another another factor, too, is uh, – you know, uh, going on the road. And this team has not really gone on the road the way the schedule has played out. I mean, they played six of their first seven at the Swamp. So um, yeah. they're going to get a taste of that in November. And uh, even that Vanderbilt game, you know, you you come off the plane November 19th, and if it's a cold 40-degree day, I mean, these, right. a lot of these Florida kids don't like playing in the cold weather. So you just never know what's going to happen. I think you just got to treat it as uh, this week is a big opportunity. I think if you're Florida, you know, you just want to play well, you know, and you want to play clean football and you want to show progress in the areas you need to show progress in this game. And maybe that will catapult you uh, with some confidence going into November and, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, salvage what's the rest of the season. All right. So let's get to the Georgia game here. Where obviously it's the cocktail party in Jacksonville. Georgia leads the all time 53-44-2. Give the audience that maybe aren't diehard Florida fans, give, give the audience a little flavor of the cocktail party of, of kind of the, how it became this, how it became this, and just 
what's the what's the allure of this of this event because it's really an event oh yeah and it's you know uh florida georgia border rivalry um you know all the georgia girls and their pretty red cocktail dresses all the florida a lot of florida girls get you know uh, look look pretty too and uh you know they're blue in their orange dresses and um you know it's uh it's been uh you know over the years it's, it's the rivalry has been interesting over the years because you know for a long period of time you know in the 80s georgia dominated right and then florida went through a stretch from probably about 1991 to 2010 where they really dominated it and now in the last decade or so it's been kind of split 50 50 so um it's it's been a fun rivalry um if fans go to the game get there early the parking is a mess i mean jacksonville it's, it's hard to get in and out of that stadium um and uh, certainly there's a lot of celebrating going on before the game a lot of really good tailgates uh in the parking lot and so forth and uh it's, it's really cool when you're in the press box and you see the stadium half blue half red like that that's a really neat uh visual to see and uh, i i think you know i think there's a lot of pride in it. there's you know players get up for it i mean there's a there's a florida georgia uh hall of fame uh that uh players can get inducted to if they perform well in it and stuff and it's something that you know, last beyond your college years in terms of, uh, you know, oh, yeah. you have former players that come back and so forth. And it really means a lot. And it means a lot to the city of Jacksonville too. And, you know, there's been a lot of debate about, you know, whether to make it a, uh, you know, to keep it in Jacksonville as, right. as a neutral site game or whether to bounce uh, from campuses from Athens uh, Gainesville. to Gainesville and rotate it every four years. And Florida seems to have resisted that. They like it in Jacksonville, Georgia, however, it seems to really want the game in Athens uh, because they think that it would be really good for recruiting to invite recruits to that game. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how it plays out in the next, uh, next decade or so. So speaking of recruiting, I saw a week or so back that a kid, a Gainesville quarterback who had committed to Florida decommitted and is opening up his, you know, opportunities again, talk to us about, you know, how, how what's, what's going on on the recruiting front Florida wise that you hear. Yeah, Creed Whittemore, um, and he's projected as a slot receiver. He's going to end up at Mississippi State. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, Trent Whittemore, his older brother who plays for the Gators, has not really been used much in the offense, um, which right. has led to some rumblings about Trent. What is he going to do at the end of the season? Right. Ricky Pearshaw has kind of supplanted him as the slot receiver. Um, so uh, that I, that's going to be interesting to monitor. Uh, the good news for Florida recruiting is they picked up uh, – a couple of really good players in the secondary Dijon Johnson, a four-star kid from Tampa Wharton, got him to flip from Ohio state. And uh, also uh, uh, his, his name escapes me a safety from the Georgia area. So um, you, you've got some guys on the secondary that uh, I think can help. And uh, they're going to, you know, that that's an area. It's one of the areas on this team. They really need to shore up, but I would say more so the defensive line and wide receiver position. Those are two areas that where, if you look at Florida's recruiting class, that's where they're really addressing in 2023. What um, talk to talk to me about the behind Richardson? Uh, what what does Florida have backup quarterback wise? I know they got is it John Kitna's son is the backup quarterback? Yes, yes, Jalen Kitna, who did look good in the Eastern Washington game, looked like a very accurate thrower. Okay. And then also you've got uh, you know Jack Miller, who's been really out most of the year with a thumb injury. He was finally activated last week, but he was kind of the, the third string. Um, yeah. uh, and I don't know if that's necessarily based on performance or based on the fact that he was just coming back. I think, you know, coach Napier kind of made that uh, clear in that regard. Um, but I would suspect if Anthony Richardson leaves, you would probably have a battle between Kitten and Miller um, in the, in the, you know, spring, um, un unless they bring in someone from the transfer portal, you never know how, to, how that works also. 
True. And again, I think Napier, one of his, you know, calling cards, why he got that job and they are excited about him is his ability to recruit and potentially work the, the transfer portal. So I, I would expect Florida to be pretty active in this off season as well. Um, all right. So give me, give me, uh, obviously if you look on the field, it doesn't look great for Florida this week, Georgia, the number one or two team in the country, depending on which poll you're looking at. Um, obviously Georgia has everything to play for and Florida's obviously the, the ultimate uh, upset possibility here. You, is there any chance this game's a game going to the fourth quarter? Yeah, you know, I mean, Florida could play that underdog card. card. You never know. And, uh, you know, Georgia might be a little tight when you're the number one team and you have teams gutting for you. And uh, you saw what happened in the Missouri game a couple of weeks ago with Georgia. Um, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that, uh, you know, they're going to be overconfident heading into Florida, but you never know. I mean, this is a, but this is a rivalry game. But I would think that, um, you know, for Florida to keep it close, they're going to have to establish a run. Um, and they're going to have to uh, really improve on defense and, you know, uh, you know, make, try to make Stetson Bennett uncomfortable uh, and uh, while, you know, stopping the running game. And then, you know, maybe you'd have a low scoring game in the fourth quarter. Maybe you'd have a game in the twenties. I mean, the one thing about Billy Napier that I've noticed um, is that he works the clock. Okay. Um, some people think to his detriment. I mean, there was a big controversy about LSU about how he managed the clock at the end of the first half. It wasn't very right. aggressive, but right. if he has a lead or he has a close game, he's not going to take chances. He's going to play it kind of close to the vest. Yep. So if he can do that and, you know, make it, you know, a, a one score game, uh, the other aspect of, of Billy Napier's teams that I've noticed is that speaks to the culture is um, they don't quit. I mean, they were down three scores to Tennessee. They made a game, they were down, two or three scores to LSU. LSU and they came back in the fourth quarter and they made a game. So uh, they're going to give, I think, good effort, but I think ultimately, you know, Georgia's, you know, just better, fine. Just better. the better team. Yeah. Yep. Um, and again, one of the things to be aware of is Georgia has Tennessee next week. So again, I don't think they'll look past Florida because it's such a big rivalry game, but you do have the, sh- the huge showdown with Tennessee the following week in Athens, which, you know, will determine a lot of things, especially in the East uh, with, with, with Georgia and Tennessee. All right. So before, before I let you go, give me a quick, I know you cover the hoops, the college, the, the basketball program as well. Give me a little update. You got a new coach. Give us a little update on the hoops, uh, the hoops program and the hoops season getting ready to start. Yeah. Very impressed with what Ty Golden is doing. I mean, he's given us some practice access, um, you know, Kyle Lofton, their, uh, you know, big transfer point guard has kind of been banged up a little bit. But from what I saw of him in the first week of practice, I really liked him. I liked our backup, Trey Bonham, too. I think the roster has good depth. Colin Castleton has looked really good uh, coming off the shoulder surgery. I mean, he looks like he's poised for a big year. So I, I think some, I, th- I think there's some promise there. But, I mean, the SEC is a tough league. It's gotten much better. A lot of really good coaches. Todd Golden is entering it in his first year as a 37-year-old guy. He kind of bring some fresh ideas, some analytics in. So uh, we'll see. I mean, they opened with Stony Brook on November 7th. I know they had a, they had a scrimmage, a secret scrimmage over the weekend against Miami. Um, haven't quite heard the results of that yet, but I'm, I'm sure some things will leak out and that'll be interesting to see how they played or what kind of, what kind of progress they made in that, uh, in that secret scrimmage. They have another one against JU this weekend uh, to coincide with the Florida Georgia game. They're going to play uh, up there. So uh those are quote unquote non-publicized scrimmages. <laughs> we we always seem to find little nuggets here and there about it. So no camera phones allowed. All right. Yes. All right, well, <laughs> Kevin. I appreciate the time, man. Great, great insight on the Gators. Have fun at the cocktail party. Uh, get like you said, get there early because I hear I've heard night disastrous nightmare traffic stories related to that game. 
Yeah, yeah. If if you if you get there by two, you're not going to be able to get to your seat. I mean, it's just you got to you got to get there by noon or one o'clock. I mean, it's just it's this is the way it is there. Well, tell me where they can find John Line upon all your great work. Yeah, GatorSports.com and at Kevin Brockway G1 is my uh, Twitter account. Well, again, keep up the great work, Kevin, and we'll talk to you here as we get towards the conclusion, probably towards that Florida-Florida State game or if we have any big breaking news coming out of games. So appreciate the time, Kevin. All right, thank you. Are you in the market for a new home as we enter the fall? First-time home buyer, you want to upsize or downsize your current living situation? Reach out to Titan Home Lending for all of your home lending needs. If you need an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo, or even a bank statement loan, Titan is the place to help you. We will work with whatever financial situation you are dealing with. Again, from Key West to Pensacola to Orlando to everywhere in between, Titan Home Lending is your home lending source in the state of Florida. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. All right, welcome back, Florida Football Insiders. You just heard the perspective from the Florida side with Kevin Brockway from the Gainesville Sun. Now we are going to give you the Georgia side of things with Mark Weiser. He's been with the Athens Banner Herald for 18 years as a writer, and he's going to join us from Athens. We're going to pre again, we're going to talk about the cocktail party. We're going to talk about Georgia season, and we're going to talk about the big showdown potentially next week with Tennessee. So welcome to the podcast, Mark. Hey Jason, good to be with you. All right, give the audience a little, just a little overview, uh, just about the Georgia season. I know they, you know, they're undefeated. Obviously, top, you know, one or two in the country, depending on which poll you look at and which week. But just give the audience a little perspective and a little overview of the Georgia team through six games. Yeah, they pretty much picked up where they left off last year. I mean, you know, reigning national champions, and you knew they were loaded with talent. But you lose fifteen NFL draft picks, five first rounders off the defense, and you think, you know, where is there going to be a drop off? There's got to be a drop off somewhere. I mean, you know, the defense probably isn't performing quite at the level that they did last year, but they, they pitched a couple shutouts. They're still among the nation's leaders in many of the categories. And, and you know, this whole team has has done, uh, you know, what they've done so far, which is win by 32 points a game, something like that by average, when they've been missing some of their key playmakers. I mean, A.D. Mitchell, wide receiver, has a high ankle sprain. He's only played a couple games early in the season. Jalen Carter, who's projected top 10 overall pick, right. uh, is a defensive uh, tackle. He's uh, probably not going to play against Florida, maybe. I mean, he, he got some practice in this week, Kirby Smart said, but he's dealt with knee injuries and and ankle injuries. And, uh, you know, so the, hopefully they can get these guys back. Uh, they're hoping for the stretch run here, including uh, starting with the Gators. Yeah, I mean, obviously you look at the Georgia roster. You know, last year, obviously all the question marks were surrounding the quarterback and Stetson Bennett stepped up. He looks like he's he's just continuing to go north with his play. You know, um, t- uh, Todd Munkin, who I know down here, used to be the OC with the Buccaneers. Really good, really good play caller, that kind of stuff. I think he's done a real good job. And you guys got elite tight ends. You got probably the best tight end group in America with uh, Bowers and, and Washington. And, and I don't even know if Gilbert's playing much, but the great tight ends. So just a lot of creativity options on offense. Yeah, I mean, these tight ends were, were so much uh, hyped up in the offseason by me included. Uh, you know, Eric Gilbert was a, a transfer that up from LSU that was, you know, a five-star guy from the Atlanta area and, and didn't play at all last year because he had some personal issues and he really hasn't played much at all this year. Got into three games, uh, made his first catch as a Bulldog last time out against Vanderbilt late, uh, you know, in the game and then had a, a touchdown in that game as well. Uh, I guess it was his second catch. So, 
you know, when you have Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, uh, it's hard to take those guys off the field. And, and Kirby Smart has talked about, you know, uh, whether you want to rather have a, a third tight end on the field or, or, you know, some of your guys that can make more places and plays in space. Uh, you know, the, it's a tough call. And, and Gilbert's uh, might even be the fourth tight end on the depth chart now. So, um, you know, he, it'll be interesting to see if Georgia can get some comfortable leads, whether he'll play. But Washington's, a, a you know, a mismatch for, for anybody at, you know, 6'7 and uh, 275 pounds, something like that. And Bowers, uh, you know, scores three three touchdowns as a tight end, uh, you know, on rushing plays. So right. uh, very special skill set for him. Yeah, talk about what's what's talking to Kirby in the last, you know, three, four weeks. What do you think is the biggest air? What's the one position group that he would say is kind of his, I won't say area of concern, but the one that he really wants to see get better here in the in the stretch run? That's a good question. You know, I, I don't think he's really pinpointed that. You know, I think he has questions maybe about, you know, they haven't played so many uh, games that have gone down to the fourth quarter late. Missouri was one, surprisingly. Right. You know, he didn't expect that game to be as tight as it was. So, you know, maybe, you know, what kind of defense this will be you know, when they're really pushed and shoved against some of these really explosive offenses like a Tennessee, if they play Alabama right. in the, in the uh, SEC championship game. Yeah. Um, you know, offensively, again, you, we, you, you, the tight ends to me is the area that I, that I notice most. I mean, talk about the running game and the wide receivers there, you know, it seems like it's kind of a committee approach there with the wide receivers and the run and the running backs. Yeah, it's been that way receiver, you know, because you've been missing A.D. Mitchell. But, you know, Lad McConkey was one of their top receivers last year. You know, you wondered what they would look like without Jermaine Burton, uh, who was a guy that can make plays downfield. Arian Smith is another guy that can is kind of in that mold, but but he hasn't. Uh, he's been battling injury since he's been at Georgia. Running backs, it has been committee again. You've had Dejon Edwards, Kenny McIntosh, uh, the, the freshman Branson Robinson. Um, and then Kendall Milton's coming off a groin injury, probably going to be ready to play against Florida and we haven't seen practice uh you know for weeks uh, maybe the preseason it's been open for the media so we, we can't be sure but you know they're going to have those guys lathered up and and uh nobody's really getting 15 to 20 touches they're spreading the ball around um so uh you know and in in the uh receiving game you know Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint uh was lost to uh, an injury against Florida a couple of years ago and he's kind of become a guy that's made some important third down catches so he's another one to watch what obviously going into the give the give the Florida our Florida audience and our fans all over the place a perspective of the cocktail party from the Georgia perspective. Obviously, neutral game in Jacksonville. What do the Georgia fans think of that? I know there's been some chatter out of Kirby. He'd love to see a home and home kind of situation in Athens and Gainesville. What's the what's the Georgia perspective of the cocktail party? You know, it depends who you ask. I think the folks that, that are Georgia fans and boosters in South Georgia obviously love it. Uh, people that have had tickets to these games for decades um, really enjoy going down to the Golden Isles and uh, making a three, four day vacation out of it and then going to see the game as part of it. Um, you know, Kirby wants these recruiting weekends. He wants, um, you know, to be able to host recruits on campus and show off, you know, something like $170 million worth of facility upgrades he's had. Uh, since he's become the head coach, uh, you know, show, show him the indoor facility, show him the football operations center, show him the recruiting lounge, um, you know, spend quality time there. In Florida this year, they're going to be giving recruits uh, tickets that are, I guess are on their list, but they can't host them at all. So, uh, you know, the contract's up again for an option next year after the next year's game. Um, maybe a little bit of momentum to put them on the campuses. 
Um, you know, it's hard to know for sure how the administration feels. I think tradition and finances uh, are things that will sway it still strongly in Jacksonville uh, direction. It, you know, depends on how much Kirby wants to wield his power to, to maybe push it more towards campuses. All right, so Georgia comes into the game, heavy favorite, probably 21-22, depending on where, you know, three touchdown favorites, clearly. Georgia's the better team here. What is – and you got Tennessee on deck. What is the – you know, is, is Kirby – obviously it's a rivalry game, so you probably got the players' attention, but you got to think some of these players are looking ahead a week to Tennessee coming to town to Athens next Saturday. What's – is that – you think that's the biggest thing that Kirby's really trying to stress to his guys is this game – next week doesn't matter if we if we slip up this week. Yeah, and, and, you know, he can sell it to them because he's a former Georgia player that's played in this game. Um, you know, so the, the players have said that he's been talking about what this game means to them. And, you know, Kirby last year had kind of a viral moment that got leaked out from the locker room at halftime where he uh, had some salty language and uh, talked about, uh, you know, what he wanted to do to the Gators, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure if that's still floating around on YouTube or not. Um, so I'm sure, I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it means something to him. And, um, you know, it was interesting yesterday, we had a chance to talk to Jermaine Dumas Johnson. He's a sophomore inside linebacker. And uh, he was talking about how the 2020 loss is still motivating to Georgia. And he wasn't even at, at Georgia then. So, uh, you know, anything they can find to, to find a little extra motivation. I think the fan base is jacked up for Tennessee. Um, you know, if they don't slip to Kentucky, it's going to be a monster game, probably mm -hmm. be a monster game, whether they lose anyway to Tennessee, uh, to Kentucky. But, um, you know, I think coming after the open week, you know, Kirby's got them, uh, you know, focused on Florida uh, as much as he can. And last thing, I'll get you out of here. Talk, let's talk about, um, you know, obviously we, I think we both think Georgia's the better team here. What is the one, what, what are the one or two recipes for Florida to put out, out again, you had the Missouri kind of game where they didn't play very well. Is that the, is Anthony Richardson, you think in your mind that the, the focus here, don't let him kill you with his legs. If he's going to beat you, make him beat you with his arm. Yeah, I mean, Richardson can, uh, you know, really change the dimension of, uh, you know, what, what's going on defensively with uh, what he does with his feet on these scrambles, uh, you know, maybe some design runs as well. Um, I think Georgia can't be uh, getting bogged down in the red zone like they did in some games earlier this season. Um, they need to not kick field goals. Um, and then, you know, Lad McConkey had a couple fumbles, uh, you know, earlier in the season, um, muffed a punt. Um, right got stripped or got punched out as well after a reception. So can't give Florida short fields and, and you got to just play some clean football. You know, I think Georgia may, they may not cover, but I, you know, I think they win by, by about three touchdowns. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they're the clearly the better team here. They got all the, all the marbles to play for. Um, how excited is Athens knowing what's coming up next week, potentially? I mean, not, you don't get a lot of these games, especially in at home. What is the, is the community really revved up and, you know, getting ready for this huge, potentially monstrous, you know, top three matchup next week. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be hard to, to find a hotel and you have to spend $500 if you're going to get uh, an Airbnb or something like that. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's per night or not, but um, you know, they haven't had a night game this season. That's the one thing that they kind of yeah. wish the fans um, and it doesn't look like uh, Georgia tech is usually like an early afternoon game. So uh, you know, they're going to make the most of it and it should be very exciting. Um, you know, Tennessee pushed Georgia early in that game last year. Um, but, you know, a lot of pressure with the SEC East, uh, you know, inside track for the winner of that thing and uh, should be, uh, you know, pretty fun uh, Saturday next week. Tell, tell the fans how cool of a town it is. Athens is on game day. You know, small, it's a small, you know, it's an hour outside of Atlanta. So you're, you're close enough to the big city, but you're far enough out. Tell, tell the audience kind of the, the, the atmosphere of Athens on a big game day. 
Yeah, I mean, the one thing I would say, particularly, and, and Florida fans probably, unless you came here, I guess, in the mid-90s for a uh, Georgia-Florida game, right? That's the only time they've done it. Right. Um, there were stadium renovations that year, I guess. Uh, it's a beautiful setting on campus, having the stadium where it is, and uh, a lot of tradition, um, you know, with some of the stuff they have going on. They play the, the Who, Bob O'Reilly, before kickoff. They, uh, you know, they have a, a guy playing the bugle or whatever it is uh, before kickoff, and Larry Munson, um, you know, his uh, – narrated call about uh the history of georgia football yeah. um you know it's it's a beautiful setting and uh uh you know it's, it's becoming a harder and harder home environment as well uh, georgia's i think they won 15 in a row at home so uh you know one of the better places to watch college football absolutely absolutely well mark i really appreciate the time tell the audience where they can find john line all your great work uh, you can go to onlineathens.com and check out our stuff in our Bulldogs Extra section and uh, follow me on Twitter at Mark Weiser, M-A-R-C-W-E-I-S-Z-E-R. Yeah, I was talking to Kevin Brockway from the Gainesville Sun. He said, get there early. Traffic is terrible getting in and out of that stadium. So, yeah. <laughs> so fans, that. if you're going to the game, don't yeah. roll in at 145, 2 o'clock and think you're going to make it. Yeah, I've learned the lesson uh, through the years to make sure I get to the parking lot at least three hours early. <laughs> We'll have a great game. Enjoy the setting and good luck. Obviously, hope I, I mean, I I don't care who wins, but I'd love to see a huge showdown next Saturday night where they're both undefeated in Athens. So have a good have a good weekend and thanks for the time. Yeah, no problem. Good to be with you, Jason. All right. Thanks for listening to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Net- Network. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you've not already done so. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at Sports. Love to hear your comments and feedback about our episodes and any program suggestions moving forward. Check out our video interviews as well on my YouTube channel, Jason Powers Sports Channel. And we'll see you next week on the Florida Football Insiders Podcast.